Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. I was supposed to preach on, on this topic a couple of Sundays ago. That's when I was sick. And Jordan very graciously preached his very, very best sermon ever. Uh, reading from scripture. Amen. Uh, and then we had Easter, so we had a, a, you know, something more focused on the resurrection of Jesus. And now we are back to our last theological conviction. And so before we get into it, I do want to do a, a pop quiz for you guys. Uh, I want to see if you remember what the other theological convictions that we have are. So no cheating, cannot look on the website. Some of you didn't even know that they're on the website, but they are on the website. Um, so, you know, just to kind of explain a little bit uh, uh, what, you know, in case that you're like, what, what, on, what on earth are we talking about? So our theological convictions are the, the truths, the doctrines, the teachings that we are convinced of, uh, doctrines that we believe to be important, doctrines that we believe to, to even make Kaleo different from other, uh, from other local churches. These are things that we, uh, you know, that we have studied and we have, uh, you know, been convicted from Scripture. And these are things that we, you know, you don't, we don't necessarily ask you to agree with all of them or, you know, people that want to become members of Kaleo, we don't say you have to agree with every single one of these things. But we do tell people, these are the things that the, the leadership of the church is convicted of. And therefore, this is the teaching that you are putting yourself under. So there are, uh, uh, actually, I don't even remember how many we have. But, you know, but let's just see how many you can remember. Do you remember what was the first theological conviction that we talked about? Uh, it, Jordan doesn't count because he's one of the other. <laughs> yeah, inaugurated, inaugurated eschatology. And that, thank you, Jordan. And that basically means that the kingdom of God has already started, right? The kingdom of God has already been inaugurated when Jesus came the first time, when he became flesh during his earthly ministry, he preached that the kingdom of God was at hand. And then when he died and when he uh, rose again, when he ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. And so the writers of the New Testament, when they talked about the end times, they were not, they were not uh, thinking about something that was going to happen, you know, 2,000 years from the time that they were writing, but they were talking about something that was happening as they were writing. So we, since the moment that Jesus came until his second coming, we are living in the end times. We are living in the inaugurated kingdom of God. Okay, what else? Expositional preaching. Thank you. Yes. And so that one, we kind of changed a little bit to not only be expositional preaching, but to be, uh, we are convicted of the authority of the Bible, right? We believe that the Bible is the word of God, the inspired word of God. We believe that the Bible uh, was given to us without any error. It is inerrant. Um, and because we are convicted that, because we are convinced that the Bible is the word of God, therefore we preach from it expositionally. Expositionally means that we don't, 
bring our preconceived, or we try to, right? We're humans, we're fallible, but we try not to bring our preconceived ideas and import them into the text. But we try to come to the text and ask God and the Spirit for guidance. And we try to bring, we try to, uh, uh, bring the meaning, you know, uh, understand the meaning of the text and then expose it, preach it expositionally. Okay, what else? Yes, biblical manhood and womanhood. We are convinced from the word of God that God created uh, humanity uh, as male and female. That God created Adam and Eve and that marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, we believe that, uh, that male and female are created equal in the image of God, in equal value, in equal essence. But at the same time, we believe that God created men and women differently in terms of biology, in terms of roles, in terms of even psychology. Um, but the one thing that we focused on is that men and women have different God-given roles. The roles were given before the fall. Um, what else? Yes, thank you. Uh, Spirit-filled living. We believe that we as Christians, as members of the church, God has sent us His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit indwells us. His Holy Spirit baptizes us, is with us, and we are commanded to be filled, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit so that in everything that we do, in our life, in our ministry, in everything, we are acting under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think we're missing one other than the one we're going to preach on today. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I think we, uh, the way we have it written down is, I think it's God-centered understanding of salvation if I remember correctly. And basically what we mean by that is that we believe that God is the one who initiates our salvation. God is the one who takes the initiative to save us. God is the one who sustains our salvation, right? So we don't necessarily do anything to keep our salvation, but God is the one who sustains our salvation. And God is the one who in the future will consummate our salvation. In other words, our entire hope is on God's grace, on God's mercy, on God's power, not on our own merits or our own doing, but solely on the grace of God. Okay, that was great. You guys have been paying attention. Or you cheat? No, I know you didn't cheat. Uh, uh, only Jordan cheated. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so the one that we're going to uh, talk about today, and this is the last one, is missional mindset. Missional mindset basically means that we as a church understand that the mission that God has given us is that of going and making disciples of all peoples, of all nations. That's, that is the, the reason why the church exists here on earth. Um, and so, you know, as, I'm, as I've been preparing for these messages, I continue to struggle just with my inclination of wanting to like understand every single thing that there is to know about these topics and then try to condense it all and, and present it in a very clear, logical way. And as you can imagine, that's just impossible to do. Uh, and so I am really happy that this is our last one and that we're going to go back to just going <laughs> through books of the Bible. I, I find that a lot easier. Um, and so today what we're going to do, just like with, you know, pretty much all the others, this is not an exhaustive message on what it means for a church to be mission missional. 
We're going to focus on Matthew 28, uh, the last few verses, verses 16 through 20. And we're just going to let the, the passage be our, our outline. Uh, and, and really, I'm going to be pointing you back to the, to the passage. And my prayer, my hope is that we will, uh, by the end of it, we will understand what it means for a church to, be, uh, to have a missional mindset. So let's pray, and then we will read the passage. God, we thank you that you are infinite. We thank you that you know all things. We thank you that all treasures of wisdom are hidden in Christ. And God, we recognize our finite, our, that we are finite, that we are limited in our understanding, that it is impossible for us to grasp everything that you've revealed all at once. But we are thankful, God, that we have your Holy Spirit within us. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is teaching us all things. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is guiding us and is glorifying you and your son, Jesus. And so, God, we pray, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher today. That as we look at this passage in Matthew and your word, that you would open our minds, our hearts, that you would transform us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read Matthew 28. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand if you are able, for the reading of God's word. In verse 16, Matthew 28, 16, the word of God says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I'm really happy with this wall, with this collar. I like it. I think it's great. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that I'm noticing that, that many of us are taking more ownership of this building. And that's really great. You know? And by the grace of God, uh, we, we are trusting that he will provide the, the necessary means for us to, to fix the roof and to... Uh, to get a new sign, you know, a more clear, a clearer sign, uh, to hopefully even add some better lighting outside the building. You know, I don't know. We 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 are trusting the Lord, and we know that He can provide those things. Um, but at the same time, I can't help but wonder what will what what will happen to this building in the next twenty years, in the next thirty. 50 years. 
Elias doesn't have a very a very uh, optimistic. Well, I don't know if you're saying. Are you saying that it's gonna fall? I mean, who knows? <laughs> we don't know what's gonna happen to this building, right? We don't even know if Kaleo, as a church, I, I don't mean the the building. I mean us, the people. We don't even know if Kaleo will continue to exist as a church in the next ten or twenty years. We don't know, right? It would be ideal. It would be awesome if Kaleo were to continue as a church in the next fifty years. And we continue to be a faithful church that is proclaiming faithfully the word of God, the gospel, the kingdom of God. But we just don't know, right? We don't know what's going to happen. But what should give us hope is that even if this building, you know, even if Eliza's prophecy comes to pass and the building falls down, uh, even if Kaleo no longer exists as a, as a church necessarily, our hope is that the church of Christ will continue to prevail, right? Our hope is that the kingdom of God will continue to advance. Our hope is that people will continue to come to Christ, that people will continue to become disciples of Jesus. And so even if Kaleo as a church does not continue to exist for whatever reason, or if this building falls down or whatever it is that happens to it, we trust that the church continues to grow, continues to advance. And that's ultimate, that ultimately should be our hope. And that ultimately should be what we are pursuing. In other words, we shouldn't necessarily be pursuing the triumph of Kaleo as its own institution, or we shouldn't necessarily be pursuing the preservation of Kaleo as, you know, as an institution. Again, I'm not saying that I don't want Kaleo to continue to move on. That would be amazing. But ultimately, we are called to proclaim the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Kaleo, right? We are called to, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, of the kingdom of God. And so that, you know, that basically leads us to the question, so what... What is the purpose of the church or what is the mission of the church? Why did God leave the church here? And so I think, first of all, we could say that the purpose of the church is to worship God, right? That, that is our ultimate goal. Kaleo and the church throughout the entire world, the purpose of the church is to worship God, is to glorify God. And we see that in this passage, right? It, in verse 16, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. So right there, they see the resurrected Jesus. This is happening after Jesus is resurrected and they see him and they worship him. And I mean, that, that really is the only thing that makes sense, right? If you see someone that was dead and while he was alive, he proclaimed, you know, he performed miracles he lived a perfect life. He healed many people. He even resurrected or, or yeah, rose other people from the dead. And then he dies. But he says, actually, to prove to you that I am the son of God, after I die, I am going to rise again on the third day. And he does. What is the only logical thing to do? It's to worship, right? It's to worship him. If he claims to be God and he proves it by by being resurrected from the dead, then worship is the thing that follows, right? Last week, we, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrated his resurrection. 
And now we see that the only appropriate response for the resurrection of Jesus is worship. Because this means that God has put his seal of, of approval on Jesus. This, mean that everything that, this means that everything that Jesus claimed was truth. Now we do see that some hesitated, right? And I mean, I think we should give them a break in the sense that Jesus actually died. And even though they had, they had witnessed some resurrections, like for example, the resurrection of Lazarus, the resurrection of Jairus' daughter, Jesus was the one who performed those resurrections, right? Jesus was the one who, 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 who raised those people from, from the dead. But now that Jesus, the one who is performing all of these miracles, now that he dies, I think the logical question for all of them would be, well, who's going to raise him from the dead? He was the one that did that kind of stuff. So who is going to raise Jesus from the dead? And so, you know, we learn from Romans 1.8 and other passages that it is God. It is, the, it is God by his power, by his Holy Spirit that raises Jesus from the dead. But again, we should give the disciples a break in the sense that this is the first time they see something like this happen. They saw Jesus on the cross. They saw him die. They saw how Joseph, uh, of, uh, Joseph and, and Nicodemus took his body. They saw how they buried Jesus. They saw how they rolled stone over the, the, the tomb. They saw the guards that were outside the tomb. So, I mean, I think it makes sense, right? That some of them, when they saw Jesus, they were like, what is going on here, right? Even though the, even though the women uh, that saw Jesus had already told them, hey, Jesus is alive. I think it makes sense for, for people to be hesitant, right? But at the same time, once they realize this is Jesus, this truly is Jesus risen from the dead, there was no more hesitation. We see that every single one of the apostles went on boldly, fulfilling the mission that they had been given from Christ because they had so much confidence that the man they saw was Jesus risen from the dead, right? So the, the appropriate response and, and ultimately the purpose of the church is to worship God, right? And, and here in Matthew, we even see more reasons to worship, uh, more reasons for worshiping, uh, for worshiping Christ. In verse, um, in verse 18, this is what Jesus declares. He says, well, Matthew writes, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. After Jesus resurrected from the dead, he was given from the Father. He was given all authority. This passage, if you noticed, has uh, several times this absolute word of all, everything, all. And so in this case, Jesus is saying all authority, not a little bit, not partial authority, but all authority has been given to me, not just in heaven, right? Many people are, are happy and willing to recognize that Jesus is reigning in heaven and that's it. But Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is saying, I am Lord of everything. I am Lord of the universe, right? That's why, uh, you know, when we were writing down our, our mission statement for Kaleo, 
we, said, we intentionally used the word universal, right? We said we follow Jesus and promote his universal kingdom in every sphere of life. Why? Because Jesus is claiming to have authority over everything. Jesus is claiming that his kingdom is universal. And so, again, you know, this should be a reason for us to worship Jesus, right? If Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, if he is saying all authority has been given to me, then again, the logical response for us is to worship him, is to submit our lives to him, is to do whatever he asks us to do, right? And so, you know, just in thinking about the, the reign of Jesus, the authority that Jesus has received, this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He's, talk, he's also talking about the resurrection. And he says that Jesus must reign. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 25. He says, Jesus must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Jesus is king. He has already triumphed over death, right? He resurrected. He has received all authority. And we know that when he comes back, he will destroy all of his enemies. He will put all of, it, all of his enemies, or yeah, he, he will have authority over everything. He already has authority over everything. But when he returns, he will destroy all of his enemies. And so I think, you know, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, well, if Jesus already resurrected, if he already has received all authority, if he's already king, then why doesn't just end things, right? Why doesn't, it just, why doesn't he just bring his people up with him, destroys all of his enemies, and, you know, the end? Like, why are we still waiting? Why have there been 2,000 years since the moment that this happened? And Jesus hasn't returned yet. And well, my, the response that I would offer is that Jesus, that God is a patient and merciful God. In fact, that's a question that, that Peter addresses in one of his letters, right? He says, well, some, some people ask, why, why has God not fulfilled his promise yet to, for the return of Jesus? And he says, because God is patient. Paul says, I believe in 1 Timothy, that God wants all people to be saved. I believe it's in Ezekiel where it says that God is not, does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. We serve a, grace, a, a gracious, merciful God that is patient and he wants as many people as possible to be saved. He is like a merciful king who has already triumphed who has already won the decisive victory, but instead of going and crushing all of his enemies, instead of going and crushing all of the rebels, he sends an army of heralds to proclaim the victory of the king and to offer people an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to turn their allegiance and serve him, serve the rightful king. He could have just, he could have just gone and destroyed all of his enemies, but in his mercy, in his patience, in his love and his grace, he sends ambassadors, heralds 
to proclaim the good news of his victory. To proclaim the good news that if you turn to him, if you recognize that he is Lord over everything, you can belong to his kingdom. You can have a part in his victory. And so how does he do this? Well, I mean, I already kind of mentioned it, right? He sends an army of heralds to proclaim the victory of Jesus, to proclaim his victory. So this is where the, the, what we know as the Great Commission comes in, right? In verse 19. This is the commission that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the na- baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus gives his disciples a commission. Now, in order to, to tackle this part, I think we're just going to go, you know, pretty much phrase by phrase. We're going to dissect a few. Uh, we're going to dissect the sentence and, and talk about uh, some of these words individually. The first word that we have here is go. Go. That's the first thing that Jesus says. He says, go. And I think this is extremely important because I think if we're honest, we kind of have the tendency to stay. I mean, that, that's kind of what happened to Jonah right? The word of God came to Jonah and said, arise and go. But Jonah didn't really want to go. Some people have even argued that in the book of Acts, when, when persecution comes into the, into the church in Jerusalem, some have argued that the church in Jerusalem was just getting too comfortable staying in Jerusalem, when in reality, the, the mission was to go and be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so persecution came in a way to get them to go, right? Get them to scatter. So the command that we have initially from Christ is to go. He doesn't say stay and hide until my second coming, right? He doesn't say stay and establish your own your own. Christian colonies and just stay, you know, as far away as you can from the rest of the world. Just kind of do your own little hidden colony. Do not let anyone go out. He doesn't say that. He sends them into the world. Do you remember the, the, the high priestly prayer in, in John? In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And this is what he says. He says, you know, one of the many things he says, he asks for them is, I do not ask you, he's praying to the father. He says, I do not ask you, take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus knows that he's going to be leaving the disciples here. And he's asking the father and saying, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And then listen to this. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Just as God the Father sent Jesus into the world, 
Now Jesus is sending us, his church, into the world. And he's telling us to go. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's why I opened, you know, just thinking about the building, thinking about Kaleo as an institution. Our purpose as a church is not necessarily to preserve Kaleo as an institution. Our purpose is to go and make disciples. Now, if Kaleo as an institution is what makes the most sense for us right now in order to be effective at making disciples, then we will continue to do it. But if God leads us and directs us and says, you know what? There's going to be persecution in this country and this church is going to have to go underground and you are going to have to... Uh, uh, join forces with the other churches on the harbor. We're going to say, yes, Lord, whatever you indicate in order for us to continue to promote your kingdom. So he tells them, go, and then says, go therefore. So the therefore is pointing back to the fact that Jesus has received all authority. So because Jesus is Lord, you have to go and here's the, here's the main command that he gives. Make disciples. Making, make disciples. Making disciples is, is much more than just making converts. Making disciples is much more than just getting people to say a prayer or to, quote, accept Jesus into the heart. Making disciples is... I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it's a lot more than that. It, making disciples is, is even sometimes a little bit hard to, to summarize because it's so all-encompassing. Making disciples means that you are trying to convince people that Jesus is Lord. You are proclaiming the fact that Jesus is king and nothing and nobody else is king. Making disciples means bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus, bearing witness to, to, to everything that Jesus has done. Making disciples, as we see in this passage, it means baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Making disciples, and this is one aspect that a lot of churches forget, making disciples means teaching people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Right? So making disciples, again, is an all-encompassing thing. <coughs> a disciple of Jesus is someone that follows Jesus, someone who belongs to him, someone who learns from him, someone who teaches others to do the same. A disciple is someone that understands that Jesus has all authority and submits to his authority. A disciple is someone that understands that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped and he or she does so. He says, make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. The word that he uses, you know, could take on the, those two meanings. You know, it, when, it, when, when, it takes, when we talk about nations, you know, maybe we're, we're talking more in terms of uh, ethnicity or, you know, culture or people from other countries. And we, surely, we certainly see that, right? In, in Acts 1, Jesus tells the disciples specifically, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? So he is including all nations. 
But this, the word that he uses here could also just mean people, right? I mean, I, I, lean, I lean more ob- more obviously to the one that, 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 you know, to the sense of nations, to the sense of, uh, uh, you know, countries, ethnicities, languages, etc. And we see that in Revelation, right? People from all nations, from all tribes and tongues, worshiping the Lord. Recently, though, I have been, you know, just thinking about this passage, I have been, instead of saying, go make disciples of all nations, I've been saying, go make disciples of all peoples. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I think that many of us understand that we are called to make disciples of all nations, of all countries, of all ethnicities. But we, when we remember that he's calling us to make disciples of all peoples, we need to remember that that includes everyone around us, right? Because sometimes when we think about mission or missions, we think, oh, it's the people that go to other countries, right? It's the people that go overseas. The, the Sealands, they are missionaries and we're just sending them and we're doing our part just by sending them. But when we understand that the call is to make disciples of all peoples, then we realize that we are also missionaries, right? We understand that this call to make disciples is a universal call to reach out to every single person. And so for us, this might mean that, you know, maybe the Lord is calling or, or will call some of us, some of you to travel to other countries and, and make disciples of other, you know, actual nations. But my guess is that for most of us, this means that we are called to make disciples of people in the harbor, right? This means that we are called to make disciples of the people that live on the hill in Aberdeen. And it means that we are called to make disciples of the police station across the street. And it means that we are called to make disciples of the Hispanic community on the harbor. And it means that we are called to make disciples of our neighbor next door. And it means that we are called to make disciples of the homeless community. And we are called to make disciples of our own family, our own children. We're called to make disciples of all people, everyone, no exception. If they're a human, if they're a descendant of Adam and Eve, we'll make him a disciple or we'll try to make him a disciple, right? It's ultimately God's prerogative to save people, but we are his instruments and we are gonna fulfill the command that we have received to go and make disciples of all people. And so, you know, I think sometimes the question has been raised in terms of what is the focus of Kaleo? The focus of Kaleo is to make disciples of all people, whether people who are inside these four walls, whether people, whether it's people that it's, you know, that they are already disciples of Jesus and we're continuing to disciple them, or whether it's people that are outside these four walls, whether it's people that is inside the, 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 the church community, outside the church community, our focus is to go and make disciples of all nations of all people. We want everyone to worship Jesus with us. 
We worship the resurrected Jesus. We worship Jesus because all authority has been given to him. And we want the rest of the world, the rest of the harbor, the rest of our family, our relatives, our children, everyone. We want them to worship Christ with us. Because we know that that's ultimately what they need. That's ultimately what will make them truly, truly satisfied. And that's what will save them. So, all people. Uh, Then he talks about baptism. He says that as we go, as we make disciples, uh, we are going to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This means that once people have heard the gospel, once they have repented of their sin, once they have uh, recognized that Jesus is Lord, once they've submitted to him, then we baptize them as a sign that they have received a new life from God. We baptize them in the name of the Father because the Father is now their Father. They used to not belong to God. They used to not be children of God, but now the Father is their Father. They used to be enemies of God, but now God has received them into their people. And that's why we baptize in the name of the Father. We baptize in the name of the Son because Jesus is our mediator. He is our Savior. He is the only way to the Father. If it were not for Jesus, we would be doomed. Because Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life and died on the cross so that through his righteousness, not our own righteousness, but his righteousness, we would be reconciled to God. Them in the name of the Holy Spirit because he now indwells those who belong to him. The Spirit is the seal and the guarantee of our salvation. And then he says, <coughs> verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Part of making disciples is teaching people to obey God, to obey Jesus, right? This is extremely important, right? Because if we acknowledge that all authority has been given to Jesus, then we're not just going to tell people, hey, you know, add Jesus into your life. Just keep doing everything that you've been doing and just add Jesus and, you know, he's going to make you happy and you're going to feel really good. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus is Lord of everything, of your life. And you need to repent of your sin and you need to submit to God. And submission means obeying everything that he has commanded you. If he truly is king, if he truly is God, then it means that everything that he has taught us is to be obeyed, is to be observed. And so that's part of disciple making. We instruct people, we teach them. One of my favorite passages in scripture is uh, Colossians 1. And and I like this passage because this is kind of a, it's almost like like Paul's uh, really abbreviated manifesto. And he writes in Colossians 1, verse 27, Verse 28, he's talking about Jesus and he says, 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul, the evangelist, right? We, we know Paul usually, I mean, yes, we know him as the apostle, but we also know him as, as a missionary, right? As someone who, who would go and spend sometimes as little as three weeks in a city and establish a church. He made it his goal to present everyone mature in Christ. And that is part of disciple making, right? Disciple making is not just getting people through the door and then forgetting about them. Disciple making is having the goal of presenting every person mature in Christ. Making disciples means that we are not happy with having spiritual babies. Babies are cute and all, but eventually we want them to grow. We don't want just babies. And so it means that we teach people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. It means that we disciple one another, right? Making disciples is not just something that happens outwardly. Making disciples is also something that happens among us, right? We disciple one another. We build one another up. We edify one another. That's why we have uh, DNA groups because we, we, we want people to get together with one another to be able to think through the Bible, read the word of God, pray for one another, disciple one another. That's why we have gospel communities because we want to be able to provide an environment where families can come together and disciple one another, grow, encourage one another. That's why we gather here on Sundays because we are providing an environment in which we can grow, in which we can disciple one another. Now, what I'm presenting to you, well, number one, this is not what I'm presenting to you. This is what's in the word of God. But I realize that this is, uh, this is a very hefty mission that we have, right? This is an all-encompassing mission. Basically, what this is saying is, because Jesus is Lord of everything, we put our lives under his leadership. We, su we submit ourselves to him, and we go and devote our lives to making disciples. And that I realize that that's that that's a very uh, all-encompassing mission, right? You you can't hear this and say, "Well, you know, I'm going to be a disciple maker on on my on on the side. I'm going to you know do my own thing over here, and then on the side, I'm going to I'm going to be a disciple maker." No, this is a calling for all of us as a church to make disciples now. I am not saying that you need to quit your job right now and go, you know, on the streets and, and all you do is preach the gospel, right? Especially because we understand that making disciples is not just evangelism. Making disciples is an all-encompassing thing. But it does mean that you understand that you belong to Christ, you belong to his church, and the, and the mission that you have been given, the mission that all of us have been given, Kaleo, the mission that we as a church have been given 
is that of making disciples, is that of using the spiritual gifts that we have been given, using the abilities, the experiences, the opportunities that we have been given and making sure that we together are making disciples of all people. Maybe you don't have the gift of evangelism, but maybe you, get, you have the gift of hospitality. So you could host your friends in your house and invite someone who has the gift of evangelism. Maybe you don't have the gift of hospitality, but you have the gift of teaching. Or maybe you don't have the gift of teaching, but you have the gift of service. We use the gifts that God has given us. We use everything that God has given us in order to make disciples. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about um, talks about his mission, our mission, and he says, uh, we are ministers of reconciliation. That is our job, to, to mediate reconciliation. And, and one of the things he says is, <coughs> well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to read it because I do not want to misquote it. In 2 Corinthians 5, Verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And then listen to this, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you catch that? God is making his appeal through us. God could have just, downloaded the gospel message into everyone's minds, but he chose to send the church as his ambassadors, as his ministers of reconciliation. And God's appeal is being made through us. Our job is to implore with people to be reconciled with God. And so again, I realize that this is a hefty mission. This is uh, too much to ask from any of us, right? In 2 Corinthians, Paul also says, who is sufficient for these things? No one is. But listen to this in, in, back in Matthew, verse 20, at the very end. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This task of making disciples would be absolutely impossible. We would flop immediately if Jesus were not with us. That's why in Acts, he tells the disciples to wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Because he knows that apart from his empowering presence through the Holy Spirit, they are incapable of doing anything. And so they wait and the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost. And then the gospel message, the, the message of the kingdom is incredibly spread throughout the world. And so this task is impossible in our own strength, 
but we are not alone. Jesus is with us through his Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus ascended into heaven, and so he is not physically with us right now, but he sent us his empowering spirit so that each one of us and all of us together as a body, as the body of Christ, we would go and make disciples of all nations. So we don't have to fear rejection. We don't have to fear uh, um, persecution, suffering. We don't have to fear that sometimes we don't know what to say or how to minister to people. We don't have to fear any of that because the resurrected Jesus, the one we worship, the one who has received all authority in heaven and on earth is with us through his Holy Spirit. And so we have everything we need to go and make disciples. And that's why Jesus left us here to go and proclaim the message of reconciliation to the world that is lost. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your empowering presence through your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, you are king. You are ruler over everything. You are Lord. We submit our lives to you. And God, we want to devote our time, our energy, our resources to fulfilling the mission that you've given us. We realize that we are not here just for self-preservation. We are here with a mission to proclaim the good news of your kingdom. We are here with the mission of making disciples of all nations, of all peoples. I pray that you empower us, embolden us by your spirit. We pray, Lord, that you show us practical ways in which we can, in which we can continue to do that or begin to do that if we have not been doing a good job, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.